0: Hi, we're TNTV, a podcast for TV addicts. I'm Price. And I'm Elizabeth. Today we're discussing The Bold Type, Season 1, Episode 7, Three Girls in a Tub.
1: Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Price. How are you? (laughs) I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been a long but short week, but long. But long, yes. Yeah. Like, yes, it's... Anyway,
0: what tea <laughs> are you drinking?
1: <laughs> uh, um, I'm drinking Tazo's Organic Baked Cinnamon Apple. Um, Were you inspired by my tea from last week? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It was ki- also kind of... I didn't have any, like, exciting... Uh, Flowers and a glass teapot tea. So this is uh, tea that was kind of in the back of my drawer that I was—I've been meaning to try on this podcast. So here it is. Nothing wrong with that. How is it? It's good. I really like it. Okay, good. What what tea are you drinking? I am drinking
0: Stash's Organic Vanilla Honeybush Herbal Tea.
1: That sounds really good and relaxing. It is
0: really good. It's like. Really sweet, but also, like, kind of comforting. It's nice for the week that I've had. Yeah, see,
1: it's, like, raining and miserable right now, so baked apple cinnamon sounded amazing to me. It's, like, 60 outside. I am so happy. <laughs> I am so happy. <laughs> okay, so do we want to dive into the episode? Let's talk about the episode. So,
0: first we're talking about cat. Cat.
1: Cat, 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 Edison. Mm-hmm, yeah, so she has a direct report, Natalie, who keeps making PR mistakes on the Scarlet Twitter account, and so Cat is trying to navigate how to be a good boss to her. I thought it was really
0: interesting how they showed it, though. They show her... Trying and, like, taking different steps, doing different things with Natalie to try to get her up to speed. Even though it ultimately doesn't work out, like, we see that Kat is a good boss because she knows the steps to take.
1: Yeah, this was a really interesting cat episode, just because it was only about her career and her as a boss, and I think it really kind of also highlights like how advanced in her career she is, especially compared to Jane and Sutton, the fact that she's in charge of somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really interesting that her arc this episode is completely about her career, because Adina moved to Paris episode 5, so she's not in the picture currently. Um, And they don't mention her at all this episode, whereas Sutton and Jane are heavy relationship-oriented this episode.
1: Yeah, but their main arcs have been, like, focused on their careers. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting (laughs) flip-flop this episode. (laughs) I thought it was really interesting seeing her be in charge of someone and so advanced in her career and, like, have this struggle. I I thought that was just really interesting to see, like, someone who's a boss who's my own age.
0: Yeah, I mean, they do mention that it's her first direct report, so it's obviously, like, her first step. And we have seen Kat be, like, really managerial, um, really stepping up her game in previous episodes, like, with the VR tech and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate that, like, her hire isn't doing so great, though. She tweets out uh, an STD article that is false. Um, Like, it it, uh, has a lot of, like, bad information. And then she, like, tries to make a joke about uh, one of the Jenner sisters, but that's, that's not that good it really sucks that like her direct report isn't doing so great
0: (laughs) yeah and it actually it opens up um other conflicts so the tweet about the Jenner sister comes during Richard's dinner party and um he's a board of directors and he sees this because Kat brings it up and he goes to Jacqueline and says hey you need to fix this right now and Surprise surprise, Cat loses her cool, goes up to Richard's office, which is a huge no-no, and starts yelling at him even though he's very much above her head.
1: Oh my gosh, yes, yeah, so dramatic, so much drama. But I thought I thought it was like super interesting like that dynamic between uh Richard and Cat. I just I felt for Cat so much. Yes, she like did overreact and blow up a, like she shouldn't have gone and confronted Richard in his office like Shouldn't have done that, but I do completely understand her frustration. You know, like it, she's trying to be a good boss and to take care of things and in charge of Natalie. She's her problem, and then the fact that like Richard goes to her boss about this, like that just, uh, I felt for her. Well, at
0: that moment. and I mean he is going through the right channels. It just it's not good because. Richard wouldn't have ever noticed if he wasn't hanging out with Kat on an equal level, and that's what makes that kind of um, weird. Actually, I mean, we'll talk about it more when we talk about Sutton, but that's the whole big problem, is that Richard's on another level from these girls, and that causes some weird dynamics. Um, yeah, yeah. We did have some favorite moments with Jacqueline and Kat this episode. Um, they had some really good mentorship
1: stuff. Yeah, most of the mentorship moments are the ones that we're supposed to see the most, I think, are supposed to be like between Jacqueline and Jane. But I think the Jacqueline Cat mentorship moments are just some of the are just really underrated and amazing. And so this one, yeah, this these were really great because it was specifically about how to be a good boss.
0: Yeah, I don't think the writers intended for um, Kat to be such a big part of Jacqueline's mentorship moments, but those two actresses, they just work really... And and Kat's actress specifically, um, Aisha is just... She's such a great actress that how could they... I mean, how could her character not shine through?
1: (laughs) No, so true. Kat has shown a lot of managerial styles and, like is already in charge of her own department, so it makes sense that there's going to be a lot of mentorship between her and Jacqueline. So it was really great to see Jacqueline kind of patiently waiting for Kat to come to the conclusion that she needed to let Natalie go and then offering support when she came to that decision. I thought that was really cool. Um, One of -hmm. the lines that
0: I really liked from Jacqueline is when they are firing Natalie, because that's what ends up happening, Um, she says, you know, sometimes firing people is the best thing for them. It allows them to move in a better direction for their career. And it allows us to move in a better direction for our brand. So I I think that that was really key. And like, yeah, it sucks firing someone, but sometimes it's better for the both of you. Yeah,
1: it totally is. Like, in that conversation, it was poignant that Natalie just kept making the same mistakes and just wasn't getting it and you know Kat says you know I've tried I've tried everything hand-holding tough love like I, I don't know what else I can do and yeah it's just sometimes jobs and people aren't a good fit and don't work out well and you have to let them go unfortunately so Kat's uh, story of becoming a better boss lady is it was really interesting, this episode. I, I enjoyed it, even though, unfortunately, she had to let go of her direct report. Yeah, and, you know, it was the
0: weakest arc of this episode of The Three Girls, but I still really liked it. Um, yeah, so that's Kat. I know. So, <laughs> let's talk about Sutton. <laughs> Sutton. 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 Sutton? So, Sutton is told by Oliver that she needs to network for her job. She has to know assistants at all of the fashion houses, all of the important magazines, all of everywhere, so that she's useful to Oliver. She goes on this message board for assistance, um, and it's like kind of her lifeline. Um, there's an event coming up this week, um, and it's called High Tea, which is so cute. You know, they go and they drink tea and everything's great. And um, In addition, Richard wants to know her friends, so he decides to make dinner for all three of them and surprise surprise it does not go well
1: (laughs) yeah I wanted to talk about the hilarious conversation between (laughs) Sutton and Oliver and as much like mentorship moments there are between Jacqueline and Kat this is an Oliver Sutton mentorship moment but done in a hilarious Oliver way every moment with Oliver is just so great I love that character so much so hysterical and I love how he's just so funny. He's like, "Well, I didn't think we'd have to be having this conversation." <laughs> and, you know, and you know, he tells her part of this job is like making contacts. It's having having breakfast with your contact from here, having drinks with your contact from here. You get the pattern. What? what how does that sound? And something so expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to put the two characters together that are the
0: funniest in the show and just have them do their own thing is hilarious. I love their
1: relationship so much. I do, too. I, when I first, like, was watching this show, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't any, like, Jacqueline Sutton mentorship, but then rewatching it, I'm like, oh, no, wait, she does have a mentor. It's Oliver. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. So Sutton goes to high tea. Um, for those of you that haven't seen the episode, there are um, little cakes at tea, like little finger things, and they have marijuana in them. So it's high tea. Yeah, and Sutton has, like
1: a lot of those.
0: <laughs> yeah, so she feels awkward, so she's eating these little cakes by herself. I think she has, like, 12 or something, and she gets yeah. very stoned, and it's very bad, and there's this moment where um, another girl comes up to her, and she goes, how many of those have you had? And Sutton says, oh, no, they're delicious, it's fine, and she's like, no, 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 it's high tea. Like, high
1: tea. It's Sutton's reaction just, oh, Oh, oh no! I like every time I see that scene in this in this episode, I just crack up so much. It is so funny. That's a good- it wasn't a surprise to me. Um, it, I got it whenever that girl came up to her and asked how many she had. Oh no! But
0: well, maybe that's because you live in a state where marijuana is allowed to be in public, and I don't. <laughs> yeah. <maybe>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, quick comment here though. Sutton looks amazing, like drop dead gorgeous here.
1: I love her outfit. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Her little hat for tea. Like for so cute. Tea. So cute. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So she's having to network at high tea, which I, I, I don't know. Do you do much networking, Elizabeth? I
0: need to do more networking. I do not yeah. do networking. And I really, I've, I've signed up for events this year to make myself go network. And I still find reasons to not go to them. So <laughs> I need to yeah. be better at that. Cause I like if I if I go and like I'm there, I'll be really good at it, but I just have to like go and tell myself that I need to do it.
1: Totally get it, yeah. As an introvert, it's just getting over that initial, like, going to the networking thing. Once I'm there, I'm good. But, yeah, I totally get Sutton's, like, hesitation and everyone's hesitation with
0: networking. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you have to go put yourself out there, and that's awkward. So, the dinner scene is set up. Richard's been quietly, like, making sure everything is perfect,
1: Um. I thought that was so adorable, by the way, like him, like being Mr. Host and setting up like the drink cards and like all the appetizers and like making sure everything's clean and looks good. Like, Very desperately wanting to make a good first impression. I thought that was so adorable and endeared me to him more so than he already has. He's definitely a cutie. So Kat is the first one to show
0: and it's just her and Richard and they're talking about his apartment and it's really awkward. Uh, Jane shows up late from her date and she's drunk because she's (laughs) tiny and she had an assignment with cocktails. And then Sutton shows up last high out of her mind.
1: Oh my god. This is a very funny Sutton episode, and one of her funny Sutton lines was like, she comes in with the like with the little cakes and says, "I brought dessert," and then whispers, "It's Pat," but but she everybody. doesn't actually whisper because she's stoned. Exactly. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my gosh. So
0: they all go and clamor into Richard's tub because it's horizontal and cold. <laughs> and, uh, apparently they have dinner in the tub and basically turn this great night into a mess because they were all messy and ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Which, honestly, I really like because sometimes I'm messy and ridiculous. Um, and it- it's really good to see, like, people our age being messy and ridiculous because I feel like that happens a lot.
1: Oh, yeah, all the time. It just, yeah, unfortunately, like, in this episode, it's at Richard's apartment, and he becomes very aware of, like, the age difference between him and Sutton and her friends.
0: Yeah, when they're all being messy and ridiculous, it definitely shows how young they are, versus him, who, like, kind of has his shit together, and he's gone through all this already.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that conversation, um between him and Sutton the the morning after the dinner was just very well acted and very well done. Just, you know, him her saying, you know, wow, I'm so sorry that last night was kind of a mess and him like not being mad, but just he, you can see how much he's withdrawn. From- I do. Yeah. I do really like that
0: because it wasn't like, you know, she messed up because she got too stoned. Cause you know, that's a human thing. Um, it's a human mistake. He was just, shocked maybe
1: by how different their lives were. Yeah. 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 So then the whole uh, tweet with Kat's assistant happens. She confronts him in his office. Richard gets really upset by that, which causes more drama and doubt and frustration. And unfortunately, as a result of that, him and Sutton break up at the end of the episode. I know. I,
0: I, I get it, but it just like hurts me because I think they're such a great couple. And to see them like, do the right decision and say, yeah, this is messy, and this isn't a relationship if we're just going to go backward, and it just, like, hurts my soul.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was inevitable from, like, the very beginning of this season with, like, the whole dating your boss secretly, and plus it's a TV show, like, they're going to break up, it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but- yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't surprised that it had. But I I mean, we've talked about this before, but just, you know, like my how they very gradually painted Richard to be more than this older gentleman and like how supportive and how really wonderful he is to Sutton. It was sad to see them break up.
0: Huh. Maybe that's another bubblegum pink instance. You know, like, we've hmm. seen we've seen this whole arc of Richard starting as the anonymous older man and slowly gotten to, like, know and love him, and now we see that, no, this relationship isn't gonna work out, and they break up, and that's, like, you know, what we know is happening, and it's supposed to happen, and it's cliche to happen, but the bubblegum pink thing is that they're actually
1: a really good couple. Yeah, totally. That... Yeah, that totally fits with bubblegum pink versus real life issues. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's that's
0: an unfortunate yeah. downside of Sutton's arc, but it's okay. It's only episode seven. Um, so let's talk about Jane. 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 Jane.
1: Jane. 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 Jane Sloan. What is Jane up to? Well, Pinstripe's back! Um, <laughs> the episode starts with uh, Jane and Pinstripe having sex in the shower. The second episode to start like this, <laughs> which is hilarious. This is hilarious. like the third
0: time we've seen them have sex, though. It's like, come on, guys. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So in their sexcapades, Jane accidentally says, I love you, um, which brings up the whole conversation of what is this relationship and are we exclusive or not? I hate that conversation. Everybody does. It's the worst. So Jane is telling Kat and Sutton that she accidentally said, I love you. And they're trying to like, like be like, oh, no, it's fine. People say weird things during sex all the time. And so they're talking about like her relationship with Pinstripe and like what they're doing. And it, they mention an article that he's written about tantric sex. And they're like, oh, no, that couldn't be Jane. And she's like, well, actually, it was. And so I had no idea what tantric sex was. And so I looked it up. Um, Apparently, it's an ancient Hindu practice that has been going on for over 5,000 years. And it's just a slow form of sex that's uh, supposed to increase intimacy and lead to powerful orgasms. So it's just really slow sex with a lot of foreplay is what I've what I've gathered from it. (laughs) That's yeah, Um, that's
0: pretty much what I figured out it was too. It was just it was just the weird name. Like if they had called it not that I probably would have figured it out. But yeah.
1: And then I thought it was hilarious because in this conversation, Kat then says four hour long, like really intimate sex. No wonder you're falling in love. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that makes sense. So
0: let's see what is what is the actual arc of Jane uh she gets a new assignment from Jacqueline there's a dating app where your friends pick your date now I don't know if this is an actual app but I like the idea of it actually I
1: I do too and I thought it was really hilarious about like whenever uh Kat and Sutton are picking her date and they actually pick really really well they know her really well like it makes sense It does, yeah. But it was that was like a nice surprise, yeah. Let's see what else happens. Uh, Jane gets the story over Alex. Yeah, so definitely like one of the I I mentioned this before, and one of the main criticisms of the first season of the Bull type is that this happens all the time to Alex. That he is like literally like nothing, no substantial like storyline for him, or he like consistently gets passed over for articles over Jane Um so it's something I really hope that they like address in season two
0: and like I kind of get it because he's not a main character so it makes it easy to pop him in um, and have this tiny little drama and then give it to Jane um, mm-hmm. where we actually want to see the story so yeah I, I do agree that he is passed over a bit too often and maybe they should have written it differently but I mean I kind of get it too <laughs>
1: Oh, no, no. I totally get it. I guess, in my opinion, like, he he's in enough of the episodes that he should have more of, <laughs> like, more characterization and more, like, stories with him, I guess. No, or. I agree. I agree with that, yeah. yeah. So she goes on this date, this dating app, for this story and uh, tells Pinstripes that she's dating other people and he is, too. Mm-hmm. So it's just... So she's juggling with whether she can slash wants to date more than one person at once.
0: That's, that's a really hard conversation to have with yourself, actually, because, like, I, I totally get where Jane's coming from. As a modern woman, I should be able to juggle, like, more than one guy. And... But in reality, it's really hard to do that, especially when you start
1: developing feelings for one of the guys. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's funny. She's, you know, Jane's talking to Sutton about this and Sutton's like, yes, you can do this. You're a modern millennial woman. And I think it's funny because that is like a modern millennial problem that, you know, hasn't really ever been an issue before. Like, yeah, whether to date more than one person, it's becoming like more and more acceptable to do so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting, yeah. So, in the midst of all this talk conversation, the three girls are talking about what they want and everything. Uh, we also get to see Jacqueline and her husband and their
1: relationship. Oh my gosh, yes, it's their like tw- twenty year anniversary, yeah. And uh, you so you like throughout the episode, you see her getting flowers from him and her planning her anniversary dinner with him, and they're just like nauseatingly adorable and hashtag relationship goals yes
0: they're very very cute um this was another bubblegum pink uh moment that we noticed is that uh three girls are talking about their issues and how they're supposed to be okay with um modern day relationship issues and stuff like that and we see Jacqueline and her husband having a delayed anniversary at dinner in the office with candlelight and everything and Jane just looks at them and goes I want that I want love and I think that was like so sweet and cute, and ugh, it drives me crazy.
1: I'm not like this, and like, oh, it's so cute. (laughs) It is really cute, and very, and yeah, and it definitely, like, seeing Jacqueline and her husband made it clear to Jane what she wanted in relationships, that she didn't want to juggle two guys at once, that she wanted one guy, she wanted love, she wanted monogamy, and happily ever after, like
0: yeah so she goes to pinstripe and she tells him all this and then key point here before he has a chance to respond she breaks it off with him and says oh you don't want that that's okay don't worry i'm fine and yeah. he doesn't respond and it's driving me crazy because i really <laughs> like him and yeah. yeah so pinstripe and jane also break up this episode
1: It's a breakup episode for sure. It's definitely a breakup
0: episode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was interesting. Like the first few times I watched this, I definitely was of the opinion that like that Pinstripe cared about Jane and then Jane made the decision and didn't want to give it a chance. But, but I was like looking back at this episode and like, I see where she's coming from. He, he, Like, after their sexcapades, and she, like, wants to talk about her saying, I love you, he and, like, he's like, no, it's okay, I get it. Like, we both know what this is. Well, but
0: he said that when he also thought that she wanted this.
1: Yeah. No, I guess I'm just saying, like, his actions are contradictory. He isn't monogamous. Like, he is dating other people because he's a sex and relationships writer, but then he does really cute thing. He, he'll go to, like, Jane's, like, panel, and he'll, like, surprise her at lunch with salad and everything. So I guess I'm just saying, like, there's some contradictions going on from Penn yeah. Strike because he's her like she's his person
0: like she's the one that he would be monogamous with if she only gave him a chance like this is my opinion this is not what the episode says at all but no they're like he's gonna he's gonna come back next season they're gonna be a thing he she didn't give him a chance like
1: that's what the writers are telling us. (laughs) No, I completely agree. I guess I'm just saying he didn't say he wanted to be monogamous first. She didn't ask him. (laughs) She didn't ask him. You're right. She didn't. Okay. I don't know. I do think that he cares about her a lot. And I do think that they will be monogamous with each other at one point. And yes, she did have preconceived judgments about whether he would want to be in a monogamous relationship with her But I'm saying those, like, it's not unfounded why she would think that. I
0: hear you. But, like, this is also, so in, like, any normal rom-com, this is the moment where the guy would run after the girl and everything would be fine. But he's doing the thing of backing off because she broke it off with him. And he's doing the respectable thing that guys should do and back off. Yeah. No, I get it. yeah. 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 So... I'm right, damn it.
1: <laughs> no, I agree with you. Whenever she went, she goes to meet with Pinstripe, she doesn't give him a chance. He offers to, like, talk about it, but she, she does shoot him down and just, like, you know, decides what he wants.
0: And, and I, I think that it is a good moment. I think that it is interesting to see Jane with other people and to also put her relationship on the side in the future. So that's good, too. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's Jane. Uh, she breaks up with Pinstripe, and so all three girls are single for next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I know we haven't talked about any research yet. Um, that's because it's not really having to do with the episode, so we're going to finish up with the episode, talk about what we're looking forward to, and then we'll dive into the Bechdel test. Um. So, Price, what are your favorite quotes and moments from this episode?
1: Um. I think I had two favorite moments. The first... One is, I think, the first tub scene. Um, Well, both both tub scenes are really sweet. The first one is just hilarious and adorable and ridiculous and awesome. Yeah. And then my other favorite moment is when they're in the fashion closet and uh, it's kind of towards the end of the episode and they say what they want. Kat says she wants to be a better boss lady. Jane says that she wants love. Um, and Sutton says she wants things with, uh, Richard to be less complicated. And nachos. (laughs) I, yeah, I really liked that episode. I thought
0: it was a good, like, here's where we stand moment with all three of them, and that was good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite moment?
0: So I also had two. Um, I really like when Jacqueline and her husband are talking about why their relationship works, and he goes, she's smarter than I am, I know it, and accept it. And she says, he's kinder than I am. And I know that and accept that. And then she goes into all of these real relationship issues that everyone has, like, you know, it was it was also the right time. And we were in the right place. And we found each other at a good moment. And we worked and eventually, she's on this tirade, and she gets called back into work. And he patiently just like walks after her and waits. And I thought that was just like, Really
1: cute. Hashtag relationship goals with those two. And this was really nice to get another peek into Jacqueline's world. You know, her and her relationship with her husband was really, really sweet.
0: And then my second favorite part is when Jane comes into the dinner at Richards and goes, Yeah, I'm drunk. I had an assignment that involved cocktails and I'm tiny. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, Jane, like, yeah, you have a total work." reason to be drunk right now good job jane (laughs) tiny jane
1: tiny tiny jane Jane.
0: (laughs) so what are we looking forward to what about cat
1: um i want to see cat be a better boss lady like i really want to see her like get another uh direct report who's a better fit with her and with scarlet and with her department and everything and be an amazing boss for that person yeah what about you
0: um yeah no with cat yeah with sutton um i really want to see her life become a little bit less complicated um i want her to excel at her job and just like rock it
1: yeah i mean i eventually would like her and richard to get back together i don't know if they're in game but they're really good and we'll definitely get back together at one point i think but you're right i think it is good that she has a little break from him and can concentrate on her career and like yeah i i agree what about with Jane? Oh, I want Jane to not necessarily give Pinstripe another chance, but I want her to like, like be a little self-reflective in her relationship with Pinstripe and realize that, yes, she wants love, but maybe like, she, she didn't give him a chance.
0: I want to see her stumble and fall with someone else. Uh, mm. I want to see her definitely focus on her job. Um, but then I want her to see her realize that pinstripe is definitely kind
1: of the guy for her. Yeah. All right. So we wanted to move on to our research, right? Yes. About the- yeah, so it's not, so the Bechdel test, it's not related specifically to this episode, but we thought this episode was a bit of a filler, and we wanted to talk about the Bechdel test, so we just threw it into this episode. Yeah, and and definitely,
0: um, I think a lot of people are talking about this show with the Bechdel test, because not only does it pass the Bechdel test, it fails the opposite Bechdel test, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. So the Bechdel test. Um, I've heard this like my entire life, but I've only ever had like a really surface glance about what it is. And I feel like most people do.
1: Yeah. Like most people have heard what the Bechdel test is, but I feel like few people know where it comes from and the like exact criteria for it. Yeah.
0: And it's um, I thought it was really interesting to look into it. And I thought Um, This would be a perfect opportunity with this filler episode. So what is it? Um, The Bechdel test officially asks whether a work of fiction features at least two women uh, and they talk to each other about something other than a man. And sometimes the test also says that they have to be named. So that's it. Um, that's that's what it is. It's kind of an indicator for the active presence of women in films and other fiction, and it calls attention to gender inequality in fiction. Um, Alison Bechtel, her comic strip was called Dykes to Watch Out For, which is where the test first appeared in 1985. She actually says that her friend coined it, and then her friend says that she based it on Virginia Woolf's writings in A Room of One's Own. So Virginia Woolf talks about how in literature, it was really rare for her to see two women represented as friends. They were seen most of the time as family connections. um, But other than that, they were seen as in their relation to men. They were either like engaged in literature to a man, and that's why they were important to the story. Or um, they were, you know, doing something, but always in relation to a man. And during her time, we very rarely saw women in just relation to each other, which is not true at all in everyday life. Um, a lot of people don't really like the test because they think it's really strict, but a lot of people say, no, this is a good test because it really articulates something that's often missing. Um, it's not really the number of women that we see on screen, but more of the depth of their stories and the range of their concerns, um, which is a quote by Netta Alabi, by the way people think the test is strict. Yeah. People think that, oh, it's, it's, you know, everything's going to fail that obviously.
1: But, but the criteria is so low. (laughs) Like, like whenever you, two women talk about something, not men, like that's like, you, you think that that would be so easy to do. I know. I know. And it's, it's
0: crazy. Um, and a lot of people wonder like, Why this is such a common occurrence? Why is it so commonplace for things to fail the Bechdel test? There's something called the celluloid ceiling, kind of like the glass ceiling. In 2012, only one in six of directors, writers, and producers behind the 100 most commercially successful movies in the U.S. were women. One in six.
1: Oh my gosh. I
0: know. And it's crazy. And on the opposite side, for the reason why it's okay for the Bechdel to, pass, to fail, um, Kevin Smith said that some people say that Hollywood movies are about people on the extremes of society, which apparently tend to be men. That
1: literally makes no sense.
0: I disagree with that statement. But yeah, that's that's something that the opposite side says. Um <laughs> It, it's not a perfect test, though. Um, there are limitations. So like, for example, a work can pass the test and still contain sexist content. We're going to post an article about weird movies that pass this test, like weird science passes this test, even though it's basically just about growing bigger boobs. It's weird. Um, and also, a work with a prominent female cast can still fail the test. Um, that happens a lot. The same article has a list of movies that we don't think should fail the test, but they do fail the test. It's mm. it's really strange. Um, a lot of tests have actually been created as a reaction to the Bechdel test. There's something called the Makomori Mori test, <laughs> which is... Did a female character have a narrative arc that is not about supporting the man's story? That was created because of Pacific Rim. Um, there's another test called the "sexy lamp test," which asks about the interaction of women with other characters. It basically says if you can replace a woman with a lamp and have basically the movie still work,
1: it fails. I've heard of the sexy lamp test.
0: It's oh, it's so crazy, like. Maybe you need another draft, like, if she can be replaced with an inanimate object and have it be fine. Um, <laughs> there's another test called the Sphinx Test, which acts about um, the interaction of women with other characters. How proactive, whether reactive they are, whether they're portrayed stereotypically. Um, it was kind of created as an idea to encourage theater makers to think about how to write more and better roles to women. It, it's for theater roles, but people use it for films as well. There's so many reaction tests. Like, I was on Wikipedia, and there's, like, 20 reaction tests. One that caught my eye, because I'm a dork, is that um, there's a Bechdel test for software. Uh, source code passes the test if it contains a function written by a woman developer that calls a function written by a different woman developer.
1: Wow. I bet it, like, everything fails
0: then. Well, actually, um, my first project at IBM, I was working directly with another girl, and we called each other's code. So... Uh oh, my nice. code. Yeah, my code is fine. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> so we're good there. Um, I just, ah, oh, like that, that's so cool. Um, let's see. There's, oh, I love this one. There's something called a Furiosa test, um, which is based on Mad Max's Furiosa. Uh, when Mad Max came out, people were really angry. Like really, really angry because they thought that it, um, focused too much on the women. And so the Furiosa test is, do any misogynists ban this work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it also reminds me of uh, something called Lewis's law. Um, it was articulated by uh, Helen Lewis on Twitter in August of 2012. So she says that comments on any article about feminism justify feminism. Yep. Because yep. comments on articles about feminism are really bad, and this is kind of like the Bechdel test's version of that, the Furiosa test. Love that. <laughs> um, there's um, there's also Bechdel tests about Guys, um, there's something called the MacGyver test. Uh, does the male protagonist solve problems in creative and intelligent ways, and only use violence as an absolute last resort? So, do we also show men as not just these testosterone-driven creatures? Do we show them trying to solve problems other ways?
1: I really like that one.
0: <laughs> Me too. I thought it was good to, like, you know, be true to proper feminism and not just prop up women, but prop up men too yeah yeah also, from what I was saying before, um there's the opposite Bechdel test, which is if there are two men in a show or a movie who are named and they talk to each other about something other than women, and uh the bull type actually fails in in none of the scenes does it have two men talk to each other about something other than women, and honestly, like I think that's hilarious
1: <laughs> it's hilarious, yes, but like. I, I would love to live in a world where every TV show and movie passes both the Bechdel test and the anti-Bechdel test and... And the MacGyver test and the... F- yeah, it, pa- it passes all the tests all I the agree. time. <laughs> I so agree. So
0: there was this great article by 538, um... First of all, I love 538 and please go read their stuff because they have really good takes on, um, stats and they have really good ways of making it easy to understand them um, they have this whole article on what is the next Bechdel test. And so what they did is they went to filmmakers and directors and people involved in the film industry. And they asked, what would you do if you were to create the next Bechdel test? What would you focus on? So a lot of people focused on like cast and crew. A lot of people focused on like the protagonist's main story and stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to go super into it because you should just go read the article because I can't, talk about it any better, but I did want to talk about what our favorite
1: tests were. So um, Price, what was your favorite test in this article? Um, Yeah, so this article is amazing. So it's called the Feldman score that they have it on this article. And the article kind of like the conclusion that it draws is that, okay, I don't think that there can be one test that tests for sexism (laughs) across the board, because there's just so many factors involved, pretty much that there has to be a lot of tests, or at least just kind of how I see the Bechtel test and then these test is not really a pass or fail, but just kind of like a checking in with how these films and uh, these films and TV shows are. But I think my favorite one was the Feldman score because you kind of rack up points. And I thought that was like a better way to measure how good a film was at representing women. That was
0: my second favorite one as well, because it doesn't just focus on one thing. It focuses Mm -hmm. on all of these different factors that can make a film feminist and good
1: yeah so for instance uh two you get two points for a female writer director a point for a female composer a point for three female producers or three female department heads a point for a crew that's 50 percent women two points if there's a female protagonist who determines story outcomes two points if no female characters were victimized stereotyped or sexualized and one point if a scene, if a sex scene shows foreplay before consummation. Yeah. Um, um, and you pass if you get a score of five or more. So I
0: thought that was a really good way to kind of like spread out and make, and, you know, say that it's not really a pass or fail, but you, yeah, like you said, you rack up points.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the only thing that it, doesn't have in here, which the article talks about, and which I think should be pointed out is just having women, more women of color incorporated. Um, but you could, I mean, if you like took this, te- like took this test and made your own adjustments, you could put that in there. Yeah, but,
0: I think that that would be really good as well. And, and not just women of color, but you know, men of color too. Um, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that that was important too. Something that I wanted to touch on is specifically in the Feldman score. The last one kind of stood out for me, um, And I thought that was weird um, that you get a point if a sex scene shows foreplay before consummation or if the female characters initiate or reciprocate sexual advances. So there's a documentary called <laughs> This Film Is Not Yet Rated, and it talks about how when a film has a female orgasm in it, it makes it much more likely for it to receive a harsher rating, especially compared to male orgasms and especially compared to violence by the director's count um four times more movies receive NC17 ratings for sexual content than for violent scenes that's such bullshit i know and and the worst point about that the uh, the worser excuse me point about that is that when scenes of women receive oral sex are far more likely to earn a film an NC17 rating than male receiving oral sex that's such bullshit. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, and it, the same happens for when you're showing um, a homosexual couple versus a heterosexual couple. It Gosh. drives me insane. Yeah. It's horrible. But I really like that one, too. Um, I really like the Pierce test. It focuses on um, the female character and... If she has her own story and if she has dimension to her story and if the audience can empathize with her. I thought that it was a really good way to stick to the original idea of the Bechdel test where we want female characters that seem like real people versus just these sexy lamps.
1: Yeah, that one stuck out to me as well. I definitely noted that one. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a fan of the Lando test. Which one was uh, that? Uh, so it says a movie fails if a primary female character ends up dead, a primary female character ends up pregnant, or a primary female character causes a plot problem for a male protagonist. And I get the intent behind this test, but I feel like that just like sells out like movies that are really good with those plot points. Why I wasn't a super big fan of this one is that they did the top 50 2016 movies. And so Moana technically fails. Because yeah. Because her grandmother ends up dead. And I'm like, okay, well, I get the intent that you don't want to like kill off female characters. But that's like a huge plot point. The relationship between her and her grandmother is very essential. And yeah, she dies. But like, that's what happens to <laughs> grandmothers. And so I had a problem. I had a problem with that.
0: No, I agree with you. And I think that she was trying to do something more similar to what the Villarreal test accomplished. Um, So that test, it says that a movie fails if... A lead female character is introduced as one of three common stereotypes in her first scene, like sexualized, hardened, or expressionless, or as a matriarch, but it can redeem itself if they're later to be shown as uh, someone with a career, or a mother, or someone who's reckless, um, or someone who's sexual. So I think that that was the better way to do that is like yeah we don't want to see these stereotypical things but there are criteria for when it's okay
1: yeah and it also like kind of drove home the point for me that there really isn't going to be one test that kind of blanket like determines whether a movie represents women in a good way or not. There's lots of tests. There's lots of factors. And it's not a make it or break it test for movies. I think it's just a way of us to like check in with the movies that are being produced and check in with our society and... Yeah, that's
0: that's exactly the point. Um, you're you're asking yourself, Elizabeth, why do I care about the Bechdel test? And I mean, it, it doesn't actually matter if a film fails the Bechdel test. It doesn't matter if it fails any of these tests. Um, but the problem does occur when so many movies, like half of the top fifty movies of one year, fail a specific test. Um, because that shows a pattern that says really uncomfortable things about the way that Hollywood handles gender. And it shows a pattern of the way that we as a society see gender. And if maybe we pass a lot more of these tests, maybe if we cater our films a little bit more towards women, it'll be a lot easier to say, hey, the wage gap is a problem or something like that. Um, Shout out to Time's Up.
1: Yeah, so with the tests that are specifically looking at Women behind the camera. Two of the tests, uh, all 50 movies failed, which is just so disheartening.
0: Yeah, and and maybe you know, and maybe that's definitely a Hollywood problem. But we could also probably take these tests and see it in other ways, in the way that you know the Bechdel test has been used for other things, like software programming or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that um, this was a really interesting. Thing that we should learn more about, please do go read that 538 article because it's really good, like really good. Um, and then we'll post all of these other links that we talked about. Um, yeah, and if you have any other tests that you find that you think are interesting, please send them our way.
1: You can subscribe to TNTV on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud or your favorite podcast hub and can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TTV Podcast. Check out our website,
0: www.tandtv.com, for related links and commentary. And be sure to watch The
1: Bold Type with us, available on Freeform, Hulu, and Amazon. Join us next time when we pick apart Episode 8, The End of the Beginning, and discuss layoffs and current revenue trends of the magazine industry. If you're not watching The Bold Type, like you
0: should be, still keep us on your subscription list for our episodes later in the year. We have a wide range of tastes and love hearing suggestions. So until next time, drink tea. And happy binging.